Well, we've heard a lot about sheltering in place the past few weeks, and as of right now, as of the time I'm preaching this sermon, we haven't had to do that in Madison, but we are having to spend a lot of time in, time in our homes. Uh, as a matter of fact, you're worshiping from your home right now. And even though we are not sheltering in place uh, this Easter, I want to talk about something similar. Uh, we have shelter, what, we, what I'm calling sheltering in grace. We get to shelter in the grace of Jesus Christ. If we've put our faith and trust in him, we know that we are protected by his grace. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the shelter that we have in him is one that no one can take us away from. We can shelter in his arms and know that we are safe and secure, not only now in the midst of uncertain circumstances, but we can know that we are secure for all of eternity. This morning, we're talking about assurance, and that is very appropriate for what we're going through in our world. It is very appropriate for Easter Sunday morning. Uh, We have assurance because of what Jesus did uh, on the cross through his death, but what we're celebrating today, because of the fact that he was raised from the dead, our hope, our assurance is not in this life, it is in our future. It is in eternity with him in heaven. This is one of the installments in our series that we've been in for the past couple of weeks, our series called Basic Training, Preparing to Defend Our Faith, and we are talking this morning about the doctrine of assurance, what it means to have assurance, and why some people don't have assurance of their salvation. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 12 this morning as we explore this doctrine together. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to follow along with me as I read these verses as we begin our time together this morning, beginning in verse 9 of 1 John chapter 5. If we accept the testimony of men, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that He has given about His Son. The one who believes in His Son and the Son of God has the testimony within Him. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. And this verse is so very important. The one who has the son has life. The one who doesn't have the son does not have life. The Bible doesn't say, I've written these things so that... To, to, to you who believe in the name of, of the Son of God, so that you may hope you have eternal life. It says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you will know you have eternal life. Ours is a no-so faith. It is not a hope-so faith. And there is no way for any believer, any Christian, any follower of Christ to have peace and joy unless they have assurance of salvation. I mean, if I, if I live in fear of losing my salvation, then I'm not going to have peace. I'm not going to have joy. So assurance is essential to living a life of peace and joy in Jesus Christ. How could you even witness effectively, share your faith effectively with others if you didn't have assurance that what you were sharing was permanent? Um, We have to have assurance. Assurance is key to our faith, to our walk. 
uh, to the way we view our lives and the way that we view our future, certainly. I think it's imperative that, as I just said, that we have a no-so faith and not a hope-so faith. Uh, Where does this confidence come from, though? Where is the assurance that we have? Well, it's in what we're celebrating this morning. It is in Easter. It is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of the fact that Jesus Christ defeated death, we now, through faith in him, because of his sacrifice for our sins, we now can defeat death. Now we have victory over death in him, and that is where our assurance comes from. The resurrection is the central event in all human history. I mean, you just take the date um, that we, how we date our calendar. If you write down today's date, April the 12th, 2020, um, you are symbolizing the fact that 2,020 years ago, Jesus split history between B.C. and A.D. You say you don't believe in Jesus Christ. Well, if you celebrate your birthday, you are recognizing the fact that Jesus Christ split history between B.C. and A.D. because every year since his entrance into the world, we recognize that he was alive that he came into the world, and we're recognizing today that he is alive today, that he was raised from the dead. The resurrection is a central event, the entrance of Christ into the world. The bottom line for all of humanity, though, is that the reason the resurrection is key to having assurance is because if I'm going to have assurance in life, my life can not only be about the here and now. Uh, If it's just about today... Uh, then, then I have a lot to be worried about. I have a lot to fear. And we know what fear is. We know what concern. We know what worry is with all of the things that have been going on in our world with the coronavirus and all of the uncertainties. Well, if all I have is right now, then I have a lot to be afraid of. But if I know that my life right now is not God's final plan for me, then I have nothing to fear. If I know I have an eternity to look forward to, then I have nothing to fear. So the key to assurance is knowing that my life is about eternity, that that it's more than just what's happening right now. And because of the resurrection, we can have that assurance and hope. Let me put it to you another way. In order to have assurance of salvation, death must be defeated once and for all. The only hope is the complete and total defeat of death. And that is exactly what Jesus accomplished through the resurrection, a complete and total defeat of death. And now we can know that we have eternal life. So why do some people still doubt their salvation? Those who know Jesus, why do they doubt their salvation? Um, Even though the Bible says, as we just read, I've written these things so that you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you who believe may know that you have eternal life. I mean, so the, some people still doubt even though that's the case. Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about first some of the reasons people doubt their, their salvation, why they lack assurance in salvation. There are a lot of reasons, and, and I just kind of want to walk through those together this morning and see if you've ever identified with any of these things. Well, One reason people doubt their salvation is because of sin. We talked about sin a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago. And sin is 
the primary reason many people doubt their salvation. One reason, uh, one way sin could cause that is if I have never trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, if I've never trusted in him as Savior and followed him as Lord of my life, then I have a reason to doubt. Um, I'm not saved. Some people have professed Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life, and uh, they've maybe even walked the aisles of the church, been baptized, but they continue to live in sin to do the same things that they did before they were saved. I mean, they have the same pattern of living. Uh, nothing's changed in their life, and, and reasonably, they doubt their salvation. And I'll be honest with you, they probably have good reason to doubt that. There's a good chance if your life hasn't changed after salvation, there's a good chance you were never saved. None of us are perfect, and we're going to make mistakes, but we don't live in sin, and we're not in bondage to sin the same way we were before we were saved. So there's some people who have professed faith in Christ, but, but they, they're not saved, and so they should doubt their salvation. Uh, but then there are those who are truly believers, truly followers of Christ, who because they're struggling with some sin or because maybe they're fighting temptation, they're doubting their salvation. And they're not, their, their life has changed. It's different. They're not living the way they were before they were saved. But because you're struggling with some sort of a sin, it's causing you to doubt your salvation. And that, that's natural. And that's one of the ways God shows us that we need to seek forgiveness for sin. Even as believers, our sins are forgiven, but we need to seek forgiveness when we do sin so that our fellowship with God is maintained. Because when that fellowship is broken, we're going to doubt our salvation. Our assurance is not going to be there, and that happens to a lot of folks. Uh, we, when we sin, even though we're saved, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And, and one of the reasons we have assurance of salvation is because in Romans 8, 6, uh, 8 verse 16, we're told that the, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are saved. Uh, that we are a part of the family of God, that we are children of God. And so when we're grieving the Spirit, uh, there's a disconnect there. There's, there's a break in our fellowship, and so we are going to doubt. So there are some sins that, you know, we think of, I guess, uh, major sins, um, you know, uh, murder, things like that, 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 of course, that would cause you to doubt your salvation if you were to ever do something like that as a believer. But what about some of these others? Maybe you can identify even sins that we think are lesser sins what about refusing to forgive somebody that's hurt you uh, maybe somebody's hurt me and i i don't want to forgive them well i'm harboring bitterness toward them and that that's that's going to affect my relationship with god uh, matthew 6 14 and 15 speaks to that certainly i'm going to have trouble uh, having assurance in my salvation if i'm unwilling to forgive uh, how about having an unloving attitude towards someone you know, one of the signs of being a follower of Christ, as we'll see, is that we love others. We love each other in the church, but we love other people. And so if I'm not loving towards other people, then that's going to cause me to not have assurance, to doubt my salvation. 1 John three fourteen, Or maybe a failure to grow up into spiritual maturity, which we will also talk about. Failing to grow. Um, would cause me to doubt my salvation. Second Peter 1, 5 through 9. Again, we'll look at in, in, in just a little bit. For all of these, though, there's a promise. Regardless of where you are, if you're not saved, if you claim to be saved and you're truly not, or if, you're a, if you are saved, if you're a child of God and you're struggling with sin and you're doubting your salvation, 1 John 1, 9 is for you and for me. If we confess our sins, 
God is faithful. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You want to get rid of that doubt uh, that's caused by sin? Confess your sin and God will forgive you. He will cleanse you uh, from, from all unrighteousness. What about suffering? Suffering is another way that, that or another reason some people doubt their salvation. You know, I, there, there's this belief, I think, with a lot of folks that if you come to Christ, if you get saved, that you won't ever have to suffer again, that your life will be perfectly, will perfectly fall into place from the point of salvation on, and that, that's just not true. Uh, nowhere in Scripture do we see that promise. As a matter of fact, heartache, suffering, uh, Jesus promises that we will suffer after we receive him. Just because you're saved, that doesn't mean that the difficulties of life are removed. We all suffer uh, sickness. Uh, we suffer financially. We may have financial problems, or, or our children may not do the things that we want them to do. We may be suffering fi- family problems or the loss of a loved one. Uh, just because you suffer, uh, that doesn't mean that you're not saved. Uh, we all suffer, but suffering can cause us to doubt our salvation. When something rocks our world, as we've seen with this pandemic that we're dealing with, when something rocks our world, it, it rocks our core and sometimes can, can shake what we've always accepted to be true. And, and, and as a result, it can cause us to doubt our salvation, to not have assurance of our salvation. But Jesus did promise that even though we would suffer, that he would be with us in the midst of that suffering and that he would give us grace in all of the problems and that we are victorious and will be victorious over the problems that we face. Uh, John sixteen thirty three, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. He promised we'll have trouble, we'll suffer. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Uh, the truth is, you know, one, of the, one of the ways to, to maybe have a new look or a different look at your suffering is that the truth is if, is, if all you have for hope and assurance, if all you're doing, if that comes from your life now as you know it, uh, your, your present life and the pleasantness of your circumstances, then you're going to get discouraged. So, so you have to learn to be able to have an eternal perspective, to be able to look past your current circumstances. 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen tells us, and if our hope is in Christ, if, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then we are to be pitied more than anyone in the world. And, and, and that the reason is, is because our hope cannot be in the here and now. Remember, the reason the, the resurrection is so very foundational to having assurance is because if we're going to have hope, if we're going to have assurance, then death has to be defeated. Our lives, our futures have to be about more. Our, our comfort, our peace has to be about more than just what's going on right now. We look beyond this to eternity. As followers of Christ, our hope is in a risen Savior. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God. He is eternal himself, and he provides eternal life to each individual who puts their faith and trust in him and who receives the gift of eternal life that he offers. He has overcome sin and death. He's alive today, and he promises to be with us during times of suffering to comfort us but suffering can cause us to doubt our salvation confusion can lead to a lack of assurance and salvation as well if you're confused about the 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 place 
of feelings or emotions in salvation. Um, you know, I, it's kind of like marriage. If, if you ask a man if he's married and he says, well, I feel like I'm married or I sure do try to act like I'm married, well, well that's not what makes him married, right? I mean, you know, if he says, I, I do the best I can to live like a married person, well, that, that's not what makes him married. No one becomes a husband by trying to be a husband or by feeling like a husband or trying to live like a husband. That's not what happens. You could say that he who has a wife has marriage. Well, nobody becomes a Christian because they try to be a Christian. Nobody becomes a Christian because they feel like they're a Christian. Uh, nobody becomes a Christian because they try to live like a Christian. In the same way, he who has a wife uh, is married. Well, he who has the son has life, eternal life. It's not what I do that makes me saved. It's whether or not I have the Savior living in me. And so if I'm, if I'm confused about what salvation means, and if I'm basing that on how I feel, well, then I'm never going to feel like I'm saved. Because, again, it's he who has the son has life. Memory can be another thing that contributes to a lack of assurance, especially if you were saved early in life. I was saved at the age of seven, and I've experienced this. You know, I, I remember a lot about my salvation experience. I remember praying with my youth pastor. I remember, I remember the date because it was written down, or I, I remember the year especially, uh, but there are some things that I don't remember. And, you know, if you've ever been um, to church or an evangelistic event and somebody shares with you the, the date, the time, and all of the circumstances, every vivid memory that they, they still have about their salvation. And they say, I know I'm saved because I remember every moment, every, every specific detail about that experience. And then they say something to the effect of, if you don't remember your salvation experience, then you may not be saved. And I've heard people say that, and I think that's a disservice because, you know, a lot of folks, if you're saved older, later in life, you may remember every detail. If you were saved like me at a young age, you may not remember every detail, but that doesn't mean that you're not saved. Just because you don't, don't, don't remember every detail, going back to the marriage illustration, just because a husband forgets his anniversary doesn't mean he's not married. Again, he who has a wife has marriage. He is married. And so the, the evidence that you're married is not whether or not you remember every detail about that. In the same way, he who has the Son has life. I mean, it, it is not about me. Salvation is not about me at all uh, from beginning to end. Uh, yes, I put my faith in Christ, but he is the one who does the work of salvation. He draws me to himself, and my salvation is based on his finished work on the cross and his resurrection. It is not based on whether or not I remember every detail. But if, if, if I depend on my memory, then I may doubt my salvation. Failure to receive biblical instruction can be another way that, uh, another reason I doubt my salvation. You know, if a person, unless you're shown from the word of God... That salvation is a gift that is given and not something you earn, 
you are going to try to do things to earn your salvation. You know, joining a church, being baptized, doing good works. I mean, you ask a lot of folks how they get to heaven they, or if they believe they're going to heaven. You, you may get that answer. Well, I've tried to be good enough. I've done good things. And, and while it's good to do good things, that's not what gets us to heaven. And so unless we look to the Word of God and we see that salvation is by grace through faith, not because of anything that we do, unless we truly believe that, then we're going to be in trouble. Uh, I, I want to try to illustrate that for you this morning. I've got a couple of balloons here. And I've got a candle, and, and these balloons look all pretty, all look pretty similar, uh, at least they're the same color, maybe a little different size, but there is an important difference. Uh, I light my candle here, and I'm gonna, we're going to see how the difference plays out in just a few moments. Now, if you, like, if you don't like loud noises, you might want to co- cover your ears, but this balloon is just what it is, all right? I mean, there's nothing in this balloon but hot air because I blew it up myself. But this balloon has air in it. And what's going to happen when I hold it over this candle? Absolutely, it's going to blow. I mean, uh, that's what happens when you hold a balloon over over the candle. It also blows the candle out. But luckily, I've still got my lighter here. So we'll light it again. Now, I've got another balloon. looks very similar, but there's a a very important difference with this balloon. This balloon has something inside of it that will protect it. I can hold it over this candle all day long. Maybe not all day long, but for a good long while, and it's not going to burst. And the reason is because, I, you know, I'm not a magician. I don't have to keep secrets. The reason is because there's water in the bottom of it. There's a layer of water that's protecting this balloon from the candle. And because that water, I'm not doing anything different except for the fact that the water's protecting the balloon and, and is protecting it from that flame. Well, it's, it's very similar with us, whether we're talking about trials in life or whether we're talking about salvation. If we try to do any of those on our own, if I try to make it through life on my own without salvation, without Jesus Christ, without the Holy Spirit living in and through me, this is going to be the result. I'm going to be a mess. I'm not going to make it. If I try to earn salvation on my own, this is going to be the result. I'll never get there because you cannot earn your salvation. But if I depend, let's say the water is the Holy Spirit. If I depend on the Holy Spirit, I will be protected in life. Yeah, I may get burned a little bit by the trials, and, and this, this balloon, not so much. But when I was trying this, one of the balloons I was trying, I actually had a little burn place on the bottom of it, but it still didn't bust. Well, you may get burned a little bit by the trials of life, by pain, by suffering, but you'll, you'll survive because Jesus is with you in those trials, and he'll carry you to eternity. Your eternity is secure. If I depend on him for salvation in the same way, and it's the Holy Spirit living in and through me, I have security, and I am secure because it's he who has saved me because I can never save myself. So if you're depending on your ability to be saved, then you're going to suffer a lack of assurance in salvation. But we depend on salvation that Jesus provides, his death, his burial, and his resurrection defeating death, conquering death. Those are the reasons people lack assurance. Now, let's look at some reasons people should have assurance, some sources for assurance. Because just as there are reasons we may lack assurance, there there are some sources that we can draw on that will give us assurance of our salvation. You know, one of the results of Jesus being alive is that he lives in and through me. 
I mean, you know, we, we talked about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, once I receive Christ, once I'm saved, he takes up residence in my life and empowers me to serve him. But also he, the Holy Spirit works on me. And as I submit daily to Jesus Christ and to his word, the Holy Spirit molds me and shapes me into what God wants me to be, into the image of Jesus Christ. And so that process, experiencing that process of God molding me and shaping me, that, that is going to provide me with assurance. So one of the sources of assurance is the Christian experience. And again, don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about feeling here. We've already talked about how feelings can let you down. I'm talking about the experience of being a child of God and, and everything that that includes. It's experiencing the Holy Spirit work in and through you to accomplish what he wants and, and to make you what he wants you to be. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And he, each Christian, the results are is different depending on your submission, but um, the results, if you follow Christ, are somewhat predictable. Uh, Romans eight sixteen, the Spirit Himself testi- testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and so, uh, regardless of what God's plan for your life is, one of the results we know is that the Holy Spirit, if He's living in and through you, if you are submitting to Him, growing in your relationship with Christ, that that the Spirit will give you assurance, will testify that you belong to God's family. We are all those of us who have trusted Christ in God's family, and you know it's not surprising that. We can draw analogies from earthly families to what it's like to be in God's family. Um, you know, with, with, that, with biblical support, that's what I'm going to do for the next few minutes. I'm going I'm to draw a comparison and analogies, several analogies, between what it was like to grow up in the Hayes family, uh, that is my family, the Hayes family, and what it's like to be a child of God. Uh, one is simply that I resemble my family. Uh, you know, I, not every member of my family, but I do resemble uh, the, the family that I grew up in. Um, and, and if I'm a child of God, there are going to be things about me that resemble Christ. Christ-likeness is one of those things that shows that I'm a child of God. Uh, Romans 8 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Since the Spirit of God lives in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. The Spirit lives in us, and so the natural result is that there are going to be evidences that I belong to him. There are going to be things, characteristics about my life that are characteristics that the Spirit has, that Jesus has. Galatians 5.22 shows us those, some of those, the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, Verse 22, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so if I am His, the Spirit lives in me. In the same way that if you were to look at me, I'm going to resemble my family. If you look at my life, there are going to be things in my life, if I am a child of God, that, that look like Jesus, the fruits of the Spirit some of those things, those characteristics. Um, Christ living in me. I resemble him. Um, The fruits of the Spirit are displayed in my life for others to see. Identity is another area here. You know, I was identified and still am with the Hayes family. 
I associate with them. I did as a child growing up. I still do. Uh, it's different as a married uh, father of four children, but I am a Hayes, and so I identify with that family. But as a child, I identified with my parents. And as a child of God, I am identified with the family of God by my public profession of faith. I have publicly professed my faith in Christ. I have been baptized. And, and that is the way that in Scripture we are told we publicly identify with the body of Christ. And that is how we join the, the church. Here at Wall Highway Baptist Church, we join uh, by publicly professing our faith in Christ through baptism. And so in doing that, I, that doesn't save me, but in doing that, I am identifying with the body of Christ, with the family of God. And my identification with the family of God will produce assurance in my life. I associate with the family in my local church, all of this because I'm led by God's Spirit. And Romans eight fourteen tells us all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. If I'm led by the Spirit, I mean, whether it's identifying with the body of Christ, but being led by God's Spirit in my life, if I'm led by the Spirit of God, then... I'm one of his sons or daughters, as it may be. But that is proof that I belong to him, and that produces assurance in my life. Relationship is another way uh, that, that I can have assurance. I mean, just like with my family as a child growing up, I would communicate with my family. I would, I would make my needs known to my parents um, so that they would, would know what I needed. I would talk to them. I still do. I still talk to my parents, um, my sister. I mean, communicating with my parents, um, that's one of the ways I knew that I was their son. I would communicate my needs, and they, they would meet those needs. Sometimes I didn't get what I wanted, and sometimes they met my needs in ways that, that I may not have chosen to do, but they met my needs, and I communicated with them, and I knew that they heard me and that they would listen to me. And then I listened to them, not always, but for the most part, I listened to them as they spoke to me. And so that two-way relationship assured me that I was a part of that family. We talk to God through Jesus Christ. You know, a dead man can't talk, but Jesus is alive, and the Scripture tells us that he, that he intercedes for us, and the Heavenly Father hears our prayers. We can go to Him, and we can know that He hears our prayers and then he answers our prayers. He doesn't always give us what we want, um, but he does always meet our needs. Maybe not in the way that we would choose, but he meets our needs. And that two-way relationship where we talk to God and he talks to us through his word and he answers our prayers. Um, and we just share with him our love and our affection and we talk to him just as we would in relationship talking with our parents. That relationship that we have with him gives us assurance of our salvation. We serve a living God, and we talk to him through his Son who is alive, Jesus Christ. Romans eight thirty four. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more, he has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. We can talk to God because we have a relationship with him. And we talk to him through the second person of the Trinity, his Son, Jesus Christ, who is alive. Increase is another source of assurance. 
You know, I think at some point every child wishes they had more brothers and sisters. Maybe if you had a ton, you didn't. But uh, I have one sister. Her name's Lisa. And uh, I can remember very vividly at one point in my life wishing I had a brother. Sorry, Lisa. But uh, I do remember wanting a brother to play with. And, and I think that is also a sign uh, when you want your family, I mean, not even uh, numerically, but you want your family to grow and be healthy, right? I mean, I, you know, I, want my, my, uh, I wanted my sister to grow and be healthy. Uh, I wanted to grow and be healthy. My parents wanted me to grow and be healthy. I want my parents to stay healthy. I mean, that, that's a sign that you're in a family, that you care about them. Um, the same is true in being a part of the family of God. One of the signs of being a part of the family of God is, one, that I want the family to grow, yes, in number. I want people to come to know Jesus in the same way that I have. Having a passion for the lost, having a desire to see people come to know Christ is proof that you belong in the family of God. But also having a desire that the family of God grow in maturity and health. Just like if our kids didn't grow, we would worry about their health if the church isn't growing spiritually and reaching people who are lost. We would worry about its health. The fact that I have a desire and a passion to see both of those take place in God's family is proof that I belong to God, and that is a source of assurance. Um, we see that, in, we won't read it, but we see that, in, that, that passion described in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Having a desire to see God's family grow, that's a source of assurance. Obedience is also a source of assurance. You know, I, I knew I was in, my, in the Hayes family when I obeyed my parents. Now, I didn't always do that, but when I did obey my parents, there was comfort and assurance there. Right? I knew there were things that, that I wasn't supposed to do. There were things they told me not to do. Um, there were things that I didn't do because they told me. There were things I didn't do because it didn't agree with the character of my family. You know, uh, One of the phrases you may have heard growing up is, remember who, who you belong to. Uh, you know, There are things that we don't do because it doesn't agree with the character of our family. Uh, and the same is true uh, with our relationship with God and as a part of the family of God. Um, there are things that we don't do because God tells us not to do, clearly in his word. And when I obey him, I have assurance. There's comfort and assurance there. There are things that we don't do because they're not in his name. They're not in agreement with his character. And when we, we, when we don't do those things, there's a comfort and assurance. But, of course, it wasn't all negative in my house, certainly. Uh, and there were things that I did that, that gave me assurance and reinforcement as a member of the Hayes family. There were things, there were instructions that I had and, and things, assignments that I were given, chores uh, that I did and, and, and positive things that I did that reinforced my place in that family. And the same is true in the family of God. There are things that God commands us to do that will result in growth, spiritual growth, maturity, but also growing closer to God. And, and that results, that positive, uh, you know, doing things that God tells us to do, that results in assurance. The closer I am to God through obedience, the more assurance I'm going to have in my salvation. First John 2, 3 and 4 tells us this. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him by keeping his commandments, by obeying him. The one who says, I've come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. Obedience produces assurance, plain and simple. 
You know, negatively, there are things that I don't do, but positively, there are things, there is service to be rendered. There are ways that I serve God that, that produce assurance in my life. Uh, discipline is another area of, of, of assurance, a source of assurance in my life. You know, another way I knew I was a hazed child was when I did something wrong and I got disciplined for it. And believe me, my parents knew how to discipline me. Um, there were things that I did, and uh, just the fact, even though I, you know, I see it more now than I did then, the fact that they were willing to take the time to discipline me showed that they, they cared for me. They disciplined me out of their great love for me in the same way that I do my kids now. And one of the surefire evidences that you belong to God is that at some point you're going to experience his discipline. You're going to do something, you know, talking about obedience. There are going to be times, as I've admitted, times I didn't do what my parents told me to do. There are going to be times where we disobey God. And in those moments, he's going to correct us. He's going to discipline us. If we receive that discipline, we'll learn from that mistake and we won't repeat it. Um, But the fact, just as it showed my parents' love for me, their discipline, the fact that God disciplines us, he's not being mean or cruel he disciplines us out of his great love for us. And, and even though it may sound a little uh, contradictive, so to speak, uh, it, is, it is proof of God's love that he disciplines you, and it is proof that you belong to him. Hebrews 12 speaks to this. For the Lord dis- disciplines the one he loves, and he punishes every son that he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? A, true, a father who truly loves his son will discipline his son. That's what that's saying. But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Um, again, God disciplines us out of his great love for us. Um, this is also evidence that God loves us and that we are a part of his family. Uh, appetite is another thing. You know, as a haze. Uh, especially as I got older, you know, my son Timmy, um, he's gotten to the age now where he loves food and can't get enough of it. And boy, he's got an appetite for his mom's cooking. When I was a boy, I had an appetite for my mom's cooking. Um, and and one of the, that, that's one of the ways I knew I was a part of that family um, was that, that I had that appetite. Um, and, and it doesn't matter who you are. If you are a child of God, you're going to have an appetite for God's food. Uh, you're going to have an appetite for the, the, the bread of life, the, the, the word of God. Um, and and you're, you're going to want to grow in that. Now, I loved my mom's cooking growing up. My mom's a good cook. Um, but there were some things that I had to learn to develop a taste for. There were things I didn't like, even things that she cooked that I didn't like. Um, but I learned to develop a taste. You know, it's amazing things that I like now that I didn't like as a child because I developed a taste because they were good for me or whatever. You know, we all as children of God should have an appetite for the Word of God, um, but we develop a, a desire to go deeper and deeper into the Word of God. And so the living Word should be our food. Uh, I mean, the Word of God should be our food. And, and so we feed on it, but we grow in our desire to know the Word of God uh, as we grow in Christ. Second Peter 1, verses 5 through 9. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance. Endurance 
uh, with godliness, godliness and brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. Um, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful. In the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ, they will keep you from being unfruitful in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. So if I have an appetite for God's word, which I should, um, then I'm going, the natural result is that I'm going to grow in my relationship with Christ. Just like my appetite as a boy, now I've grown into be, being a man. Um, and the reason my son has his appetite has increased in the past year or so is because he's growing. And, and if he's going to keep growing, we have to keep feeding that appetite, no matter how expensive it gets. And the, the same was true for me as a child. As a child, I had an appetite for my mom's food, so I grew. Well, as a believer, I have an appetite for the Word of God and for Jesus himself, again, who is the bread of life. Uh, I'm going to grow in my relationship with Christ. And I'm going to start displaying some of these characteristics that I just read in, in 2 Peter 1. Um, one of the major reasons that people doubt their salvation is because they're not growing in their faith. They're not growing in their relationship with Christ. They may have an appetite for the word, but they never fed that. They never learned to develop uh, an appetite, a desire to go deeper, and they've never gone deeper. And they're not, they're not, their faith is not being stretched. Maybe God's asking them to do something. And again, it's an issue of disobedience, which we talked about. Maybe God's asking you to do something, and you're not stepping out in faith. And not only are you not getting to experience serving the Lord, but you're not getting to experience the growth that comes from serving the Lord. It's in that growth that our assurance is increased. And so if I'm willing to grow, if I'm willing to follow the Lord, to trust him and to serve him and to allow him to work through me as I submit to him, the Holy Spirit to work through me to develop some of those things, brotherly affection, uh, you know, these qualities, self-control, endurance, knowledge, all of these things, if they're increasing in my life, that translates into assurance of salvation. Love is another area where if I love my family... That's one of the ways I know I'm a part of that family. The love you have for your family is different than anybody else. The, the affection you have for anybody else. And, and in the same way, Jesus tells us that our love for the body of Christ, the family of God, is one of the evidences that we are a part of the family of God. It's one of the way, ways that people that aren't a part of the family of God know that we are a part of the family of God. Our love for each other. Um, we, Romans 5, 5 tells us this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We can love each other regardless of how unlovable people may be. We can love each other because it's not our love. It is the love of God in us. It is the love of God poured out in our hearts, and it is the love of Christ that we are are sharing with other people. And that is, yes, inside the church. Um, Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for each other. But it is also love for people outside of the church, regardless of who they are and where they come from or what their life situation is. As we reach out to people in need during this time, during this pandemic, but always as we reach out to people and meet their needs, the love that we have for the lost and the desire, again, to see them come into the family of God, these are evidences that we belong to the family of God. 
Um, yet with all of these ways of knowing that I belonged to the Hayes family, it occurs to me that there were times that maybe I didn't feel like I was a part of the Hayes family. You know, I, it wasn't because of anything my parents did, um, but, but I'm sure there were times where I, I, I didn't feel like I was a part of that family. Um, and there are times that maybe we don't feel like we're a part of God's family. I think all of us, if we're honest, if we've been a Christian long enough, we've doubted at some point. We didn't feel like we belonged. But that's why it's so very wonderful that our position in the family of God is not based on experience alone. Yes, that is a great source of assurance, but that's not all we have. We also have the written word of God. There were times, if, if they're in those times, maybe that I didn't feel like I was a part of the Hayes family, if I doubted that, one thing I could do, I don't remember ever doing this, but one of the things I could have done, I could have gone to my birth certificate and looked on that certificate and seen very clearly that I belonged to the Hayes family because it was written, right? They have a written record that I belong to the Hayes family. And in the same way, we have a birth certificate, a written record that we belong to the family of God. We have been born into the family of God, and God gives us a spiritual birth certificate. Now, we see that birth certificate written in a lot of different instances in God's Word, but our our passage from today is one of the best places we see that, Uh, one of the best uh, birth certificates that we have in Scripture. Beginning again in verse 11, I'll read that for you again, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And his life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. There's your birth certificate. The one who has the son has life, but the one who does not have the son of God does not have life. So your personal assurance really boils down to your knowledge of whether or not you have received Jesus as Savior and are following him as Lord of your life. Um, that's where assurance comes from. It's not from any other source. You know, if you were to ask somebody, or if I were to ask you today, when did you receive Jesus as Savior and begin to follow him as Lord of your life? Not remembering all the details, but when did you begin to follow him? I can't remember all the details when I was saved at seven, but I remember that moment I began to follow him. And it's important. There is a start. There is a point. You know, some might have that question. I might ask some of you that question, and your answer might be, well, you know, I joined the church and was baptized at 12 years old. Um, And that's a good thing. You know, if you're truly a believer, you're going to want to do those things. Scripture tells us we need to be a part of a church family. And listen, we know how important that is, not being able to meet together um, these past few weeks. Um, Those things are important. Being baptized, absolutely. A true believer is going to want to be baptized, I believe. Scripture teaches us that. But our birth certificate in 1 John 5, verse 12, doesn't say he who has church membership in baptism has life. It says he who has the Son has life. So when did you receive Jesus as Savior and begin to follow him as Lord of your life? Um, Some, if I ask that question, some of you might say, well... um, if I, you know, when did you receive Jesus? Well, I, I believe in following. I try to follow the golden rule, and I try to live right. That's a very common answer. 
And again, both of those good things. You know, every follower of Christ, I believe, should want to follow the golden rule, do unto others, should want to live right, to live their best, the best possible, to be good to other people. However, the verse doesn't say he who follows the golden rule and tries to live right has life. It says he who has the Son has life. So when did you receive Jesus as Savior and begin to follow him as Lord of your life? That's answering that question, getting that right, getting that straight in your life is the only way you will be able to receive assurance. And that assurance comes from the fact that what we're here to celebrate, what we've gathered to celebrate this morning, that is that Jesus Christ, the sinless God, gave his life on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he was raised three days later so that you too could have life. And, and as we close, I want to I illustrate that for you. Blow out my last illustration. But we have assurance of salvation because of what Jesus did for us. Now, I have a couple of simple items here. Uh, just a vase. One of them is just a, a regular clear vase, pretty large one. But I also have a bag of these um, styrofoam balls. This is what you use uh, to stuff into um, uh, one of those big big pillows, you know. Uh, it's just stuffing for any, anything like that. Um, nothing magical about it, but this is going to represent um, our sin, okay? And, you know, these are just these little bitty, you know, sometimes there's little sins, sometimes there's big sins, but any sin uh, is a sin against God, no matter how big or small. And any sin that we have in our life uh, causes us to be disconnected from God. We talked about that when we talked about the doctrine of sin. So let's say I sin, which we all have, and that comes into my life. Well, there's no way to get that out. Um, some of us sin a little more than others. I've got a pretty big bag here. Some of us would need maybe even a bigger bag. Uh, but some of us were saved at an early age, and maybe we didn't sin that much before we were saved. But some of us, we go on through life, and we, the longer we live without Christ, the longer we've sinned before we've been uh, accepted by Christ. So it goes on. You know, we could go on and on and on. And I'm not going to, but I could fill up this whole jar, and that would represent some of our sin, some of us, the sin we had before we met Christ. Um, but certainly all of us, no matter who we are, have a lot of sin in our lives and sin that needs to be forgiven. Well, what we've learned through the doctrines that we've studied and what we're celebrating today, Easter, is what Jesus did to take away our sin. See, Jesus went to the cross and his blood was shed so that our sins could be taken away. You see that pretty good. Here, I'll tell you what, I'm going to add just a little bit more for effect, um, for no other reason to make sure you can see that from your home there, but you can see this styrofoam. Um, this represents our sin. This represents the blood of Jesus and the blood that he shed. When we invite him, when we accept him as Savior, that question again, when we accept him as Savior and begin to follow him as Lord of our lives, he comes into our lives, and because of his blood that was shed, his blood forgives our sins, and not only forgives our sins, it takes our sin away. And that's the beautiful thing about salvation, is that he, his blood completely removes all of the sin that we've ever committed. 
It doesn't matter what that sin is, big or small, how bad it is, his blood removes our sin. Well, you know, some of us, like me, were saved as a, at a young age. And so what about somebody like me? I, you know, I was saved at a, at a young age. I, I've sinned since I was saved. So what about that sin? Well, the blood of Jesus is enough that it not only forgives the sin that I've committed before I was saved, it covers the sin that I committed after I was saved. And again, some of us, the longer we live, let's say you live to be 100 years old, saved at the age of seven, you're probably going to do a lot of things wrong, but it doesn't matter. I sin, and I don't sin just because I can. The fruits of the Spirit, if I'm a child of God, I'm going to turn from sin, turn away from sin. I'm not going to live in sin, but I'm going to make mistakes, plenty of mistakes. But every time I make a mistake, I turn to God. That sin's forgiven. I ask for forgiveness so that my fellowship with him will be restored. But there's no sin that I can commit that he can't forgive. His blood covers my sin for all time. His blood is enough to forgive me of my sin and to take away my sin. Today we are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. But we are also celebrating the fact that he gave his life for us. He shed his blood so that our blood wouldn't have to be shed. He shed his blood to take on our sin and God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to take on that wrath. He shed his blood so that we could be reunited with God when we had been separated from him by our sin. He was raised from the dead so that we too could defeat death. We have assurance of salvation because we serve a living Savior, a Savior who is alive today, Easter. As with all Easter's, wherever you are, in your living room, sitting around, television, computer, tablet, worshiping with your family, worshiping by yourself, Regardless of the circumstances you're in right now, we can shelter in grace. We can shelter in the grace that God has shown us through giving us salvation. That is grace, a gift that we don't deserve. We can shelter in grace that we have been saved by. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God's grace is enough to keep you during this time of uncertainty God's grace is enough to keep you in the future and the uncertain things you'll face in the future, your family, your kids, your husband or wife, your parents. And God's grace is enough to keep us and carry us throughout all of eternity. So I ask that question one more time. When did you trust Jesus as Savior and begin to follow him as Lord of your life? Because if you haven't done that, I'm offering you the invitation to do that today. Um, you can pray where you are and ask God. That, tell him you want that forgiveness that you've seen illustrated here. Uh, you know you've done things wrong, and Jesus, I, I know you died to forgive me of my sins, that you were raised from the dead so that I could have victory over death. You can receive that forgiveness. And there's a slide that's come up with, with information, contact information, that will, will tell you how... Um, to contact us, to allow us to share with you what you need to do next. Uh, Info at wallhighway.com. You can email us right now. 
You can message us on Facebook, our Facebook page. Um, for those of you that are members of Wall Highway, or are not, if you have some other decision that you want to make, um, you want information about the church, if you're not a member, if there's a decision that you want to make that's not salvation, again, you can contact one of those, that number uh, or, or that email, and you can, you can uh, allow us to share with you uh, how to make the decision uh, that you need to make or, and what you need to do next in response. Now, one of the things that we do during this time is that we give of our tithes and offerings. And this is something at Wall Highway, as members of God's family at Wall Highway, that we do as an act of faith. And so I just want to share a couple of slides with you on how to do that. Um, if you want to give online, there's a slide up now that, that, that shares with you the link um, how to do that. Um, also, uh, if you want to mail a check um, or if you want to use your online bill pay to do that, um, you can do that, church members. Um, some of you are already doing using one of these methods, but there again is the information for you to be able to do that. And there's a reference number that you can write on your check or in the bill pay, the memo section, uh, that will, will show us you want to give your tithes and offerings to our general fund. Um, and I encourage you to continue to do that. But regardless of where you are today and regardless of whether or not you made a decision today, let me tell you that I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to be able to share this with you today and to be able to share with you the, the hope and assurance that we have because we serve a living Savior. We're going to close with prayer this morning as we finish our time of worship. Father, we come to you and thank you for the message of salvation, um, the message of hope the assurance that we have in salvation because, Jesus, you provide us with that assurance. You, your, your death, you gave us salvation through your death, your burial, your resurrection. We have assurance in life and, and hope, assurance for our future beyond this life. And we can have assurance each day if we trust in you and we grow in you and we spend time in your word and, and we spend time with you and and, and all of those, those things that we've talked about today, uh, the sources that we draw on uh, for assurance. Um, but, Lord, it all comes down to that relationship with you, whether or not we have trusted you as Savior and are following you as Lord of our lives. And I pray that if there's somebody out there today who hasn't done that, that they would pray to receive you now, that they would ask for forgiveness of sins, and that they would contact our church so that we can share with them what to do next. But for those of us who trust you, may we serve you with everything that we are and everything that we have. And Lord, today, but not just today, but always, may we give glory to you and, and celebrate and honor you as the resurrected, as the risen Savior who's alive today and gives us all that we need for life, but all that we need for eternity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, I want to thank you for worshiping with us today. Um, you know, Jesus is alive, and we are alive in him, and that's reason to celebrate. And I thank you for the fact that you have chosen to worship with me at Wall Highway today. I pray that God would bless you this Easter, but not only on Easter, that he would bless you every day of your life. Thank you. Have a wonderful afternoon.